So you're still looking for the... Advanced age yeah, showing yeah, so. <laughs> um, oh, 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 fuck it. <laughs> Todd and go. Good, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Australian Craft Distillers Shooting the Shit. And tonight we have the opportunity to speak to Rod Berry from Amber Lane. How are you, Rod? I'm brilliant, Todd. And uh, just well, we went live. We were enjoying some little Britain stories, and uh, I think we've all agreed that uh, Luke looks like he belongs in a wheelchair, uh, and his name is Andy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he can he can do some impersonations though, because if he wears crafty's glasses, he looks like one of the Ronnies. Oh, I nearly went. Uh, no, 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 yeah, the hairy, the hairy uh, Ronnie hairy, Parker, Parker. the hairy Ronnie, the hairy Ronnie. So the the chef. <laughs> that looks even better. <laughs> okay. Right, this is a very serious. Very it is. Serious show. It is very, very, very serious. Oh, for our international audience, um, <laughs> we are professionals. <laughs> yeah, well, some of us more so than others. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. I think I think the only one is we're joined by one. Yeah, that, that's right. So 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 that's a great segue back to Rod. What are you drinking tonight? Ah, oh, nice question. Uh, this actually is a bottle of Blackgate uh, 008, which was released in 2017. And there's a bit of a story behind this because it was a visit to the Blackgate Distillery. Uh, in 2017, when I went with two of my mates, that we decided to establish our own distillery. And I bought two bottles of this at the time. I thought it was fantastic. And I still think it's fantastic. Um, so that's what I'm enjoying tonight. I was really impressed with Brian. He inspired me. Uh, I had the idea of making uh, my own whiskey, but I just couldn't imagine the practical reality of it. And then I went to visit Blackgate. There he was, this lovely, humble man, who had just decided to follow his dream and start making whiskey. And I thought if Brian can do it, then I can too. And that's, I think, a, you know, a really important thing for all of us is if you're really in your heart of hearts, you want to give it a go, then you can do it. Uh, you just got to find support and people around you who understand and who can give you that courage uh, and that advice because it's a, you know, there's a lot, a lot of complications, a lot of potential wrong turns that you can take. Um, but people like like Brian, salt of the earth human beings who love what they do and who inspire people like me. Yeah, yeah. look, um, I'll, I'll add to what you just said there, Rod, because um, yeah, Brian is is definitely one of my mentors. Um, and I started independent bottling in 2015, and it started with me getting some product uh, out of a distillery, a no name in in Sydney, and. Um, I was talking to Brian and I said, mate, I really want to mature it somewhere out your way and having no concept of what's involved or bond store or anything. And I said, do you know any bond stores out your way? And there's a pause on the phone. He goes, what me? And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so 10 casts later, it was oh. like, get it out of my shed, get your own shed. So yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Even with someone like Brian, there's a limit, isn't there? Crafty that limit in most people. Yeah, the, the uh, 008, um, yeah, stunning whiskey. Um, yeah. The, the um, 520s, the original oh, 520s, yeah. that, that was, for me, that was, it still is a, an iconic Australian whiskey. Uh, mm. It's like, where did you pull that one from that that's just incredible did you we met at um world whiskey day didn't we um i remember seeing you in sydney at the sydney fair the sydney right, whiskey fair right um that would have been that year i think 2017 yeah okay. Barrel. yeah and i also i did some training with the what was i think the tasmanian whiskey college or something it was run by Anne Gigney I think the, the name has changed but um you know she encouraged me to to talk to you so I, we had a few conversations early on that's right um it would have been five or six years ago now yeah yeah, yeah no I, I recall yeah and then I think Todd and I met you at Whiskey Live ah. Sydney. yes that would be uh, right and, uh, of course <laughs> you, were, you would have been fully coherent at that point of the day as well I'm sure hmm uh, were we? I think we, we, we peaked pretty early. Um, <laughs> Most people do at the whiskey shows. The last hour is a complete write-off as far as yeah. I can tell. You can't taste oh, anything. Absolutely. <laughs> and you never, I learned early in the piece, you never buy anything at a, at a whiskey show because yep. you know, after your, your sixth dram, you're pretty well shot in your taste buds. And if you, if you buy it, and I've done it a few times where I bought a bottle and I thought it was a unicorn bottle, got mm. it home, opened it up a couple of weeks later and gone, that's not how I remember it at the whiskey <laughs> show. <laughs> uh, so Jonathan's just uh, let us know it is the Distillers yeah. Institute now. Now known as the Distillers Institute. But I really, I found that course very helpful. I know we're jumping around a bit, but um, again, the same theme as visiting Brian at Blackgate, visiting distilleries, talking to distillers, um, just amazing to learn about the craft and get a sense of, of uh, the people who make whiskey and, and they are all very down-to-earth people. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, I, I trained um, the, the Tassie Whiskey Academy. Uh, that, that's what it was from memory. That's actually where I met Marty Pye um, and, and a few others as well, um, which was very, very cool. Uh, I'm going to tell you what, well, we're doing it this end, so we're doing rum tonight. Well, you're, do, you're doing rum. I've already poured something else, oh, yeah. but I'll come back to that. Oh, okay. So <laughs> you mentioned Blackgate. So this was a a quirky – how do I get this right, Luke, because I can't do it. See where the light is. Oh, yeah, there. always look up. Damn. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hang up. You no, know, whatever you're looking at, Crafty, the camera. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'll do that I can't see. Anyway, uh, Ranger. So that was uh, Janice – Hollingworth and uh, from Blackgate, and it was a ginger beer cask. Um, I, I wow. personally didn't like the label at all, and but this became a classic on the scene, and there's not a lot around now. And this is my last bottle at home. Really interesting rum. So I'm going on for that, and then I'm going to move on to the recent discovery. Stout cast bricks. Their fourth uh. one. And I must say, I'm really enjoying this. Um, yeah, and pretty good. We're making a little bit of rum and we're learning a bit on how to make rum. And a stout cast is definitely a direction which excites me. And then the final rum of the night, rumming, talking. Now we're talking. 
is the one, the only Mr. Marty uh, Pie. Mm. And this is his new rum release. Is that tribute rum? Tribute rum. And oh, if you think cool. of a, a Diplomatico rum label, that's sort of the theme he's going for <laughs> with his ugly mug on the on the. On the he bottom. looks very, very serious and grumpy, doesn't he? But uh, uh, he's, he's, he's nailed the brief in that one. Yeah, he's he nailed the brief. <laughs> the marketing department said, um, can you pull yeah. a grumpy face? Yeah, I think I can do that. Mm. <laughs> so that's what I'm drinking. What are you drinking? Um, I've just polished off a little, a little bottle that I picked up in Tassie. From uh, McHenry, good. Finally finished it. I'm I'm terrible. I open something and then I take half. I'll, I'll drink half and I go. I'll save that for another time. Six months later, I'll get back to it. Uh, and then I'm going to move on to another little one from. Oh, uh, nice. You're in Tassie tonight. Yep. And mm. then, depending on how many of those I get through, I'll probably go back to. And I found another bottle because I. I thought I'd drunk it all, but I actually had another bottle. Oh, nice. My favourite, King yeah, Lake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very good. Very, <laughs> yeah. King King Lake, yeah, doing some really good stuff, King Lake. Yeah, Chantel yeah. and Sam. Big and time. It was, I was quite excited when I opened up cupboard and discovered that I still had some. Oh. So, yeah. So what, what sort of cask is that in, Luke? That is, uh, what does it say? Ex-Bourbon. Okay. 26%. Um, Ex-Bourbon, this is batch nine i believe um it's got quite a bit of color doesn't it? it does yeah two and a half years old roughly from what i can oh, see okay. yep and um yeah it's just lovely jubbly and for a hundred bucks a bottle lovely jubbly that's a good way to describe it it's um so them their mash bill uh they've got oh don't quote me three or four malts in it um peated and unpeated um, and yeah, 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 whiskey isolation know all about King Lake, even better collaborations. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think they announced they've got a second collaboration coming yep, up. With yep, yep, in, in the, the, in the usual, usual whiskey and isolation way of, of making announcements, <laughs> keep it a secret, <laughs> but not yeah, right. nobody, yeah. nobody listens anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. that, so. Anyway, uh, so yeah. I've got uh, other things that I'm trying tonight. So, um, Spirit Thief, I don't know if you guys have tried this, but um, they're doing a lot of good stuff with French oak. Uh, mm. This one is a Grenache, a former Grenache. And mm. I was tasting that down at uh, Whiskey Abbey in Melbourne and I really liked it. So I'm just slowly enjoying that that bottle. And it's a beautiful bottle too, may I say. I think they won some yeah, awards for that. It's gorgeous. Yeah. So it's yeah. very nice. Yeah, packaging's on point. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And of course, I have to be drinking a little bit of Amber Lane sleigh bells. Uh, <laughs> I hear it's free. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, we are very excited about this. So I'll just I'll just talk about it briefly and then I'll show yeah, you. Go, go, go. So this one uh, won a gold medal at the World Whiskies Awards and it's uh, it was the category winner for small batch. Very good. And it's up against four other whiskies from other parts of the world. Um, and one of those five will be the best small batch whiskey of the year for 2023. Yeah. So this has got a one chance in five of doing that. Yeah. Uh, and this one, um, what we're doing a lot of at Amber Lane is we're starting our spirit in Apera and then finishing it in PX or Oloroso with the, our beautiful 250-litre Spanish casks. And so it gets a double infusion of sherry 
firstly from the Australian Opera and then the, the, the Spanish casks. And it adds the, the Spanish casks, which are very old, they're sort of 50, 60 years old, they're adding a beautiful savoury note to the whiskey. So mm. the, the Australian Opera is just beautiful in terms of creating those sort of butterscotch, um, lovely um, honeyed sort of typical Christmas pudding sort of flavours. But the, the Spanish cask adds a, a sort of um, savoury that is, yeah, just yeah. adds another layer to it uh, altogether. So we're yeah. very, very happy with that one. Yeah. yeah, very nice. No, no, that's that, that's mm. very good. We should. Well, we still have to find out what Todd's drinking before we move yeah. on. Uh, let's just pause it, Todd, because we're talking about awards. I oh mm. yes, two things I'd like to say on awards for people that don't know: when product is entered into competition, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, it goes in blind. That's your understanding. Yep. Yeah. So you're putting uh, Australian product up against you know, Scottish. Japanese, Taiwanese, American, whatever, and it's blind. So when distillers are, are punching it on on the world stage, it's a big deal. It's mm. showing that you know Australian whiskies are right up there with with the best and uh, and gins and, and gins and gins and vodkas. And on that note, on that note, I think we need to talk about um, firstly oh, just just well. Just, just mouth. I guess if, you, if you put in ha ha ha, you can see what happens. No, 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 no. <laughs> bring, bring, the, bring the cone of silence down. Cone of silence coming uh, down. Just, no one knows. Just between just us. us. Shh, shh, it's on. Shh, shh. Talk to whiskey in isolation about collaboration. Shh, no one heard. Right, bring the, bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> That's got him thinking. <laughs> um, yeah, so awards. So, um, uh, Karu uh, just won at the World Vodka Awards. They won um, Best Australian Infused Gin, which is impressive. A round of applause yeah, for Karu Nicanelli. But on top of that, for the Merida, on top of that, they actually took out the category. Globally, as wow. well, best infused globally. Should I just, hope I'm right? <laughs> well, you read it just a few minutes ago. Yeah, just you? double check. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, absolute cracker, though. Absolute cracker. Very, very um, uh, meaty. Um, it's chipotle, chipotle. So it's smoky. It's it's a really interesting vodka. Yeah, I'm getting it's hungry. It's a really, really good bloody Mary. Mary. Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. And mm. the other thing was at the what was it? It was the world. Um, um, just written it to you. Uh, the uh, the World Spirits thing in London. Um, yep. Dave Withers. Dave Withers from Archie Rose took out Distiller of the Year. Um, so again, round round of applause and well observed. So um, now we'll ask Todd, what's he yes. drinking? What, what are you drinking, drinking Todd? Todd? Just all that to say that Australia's making some bloody good spirit at the moment. So congratulations to everyone who's putting their effort into that. Absolutely. Cheers. In particular, good luck, Rod, on your um, upcoming... Thank you. 30th of March, we find yeah. out. Oh, yep. 30th of March? Yep. So no. that'll be, that'll be uh, just yes. just after the uh, Australian Whiskey Show. Yes, just a few days after, and after the ADA conference as well. Damn it. So buy up before that, because you may not be able to buy up after. Yeah. <laughs> I, heard, I heard how quick with the Canberra Show, you got a banner done... 
with the, with the new logos. And it was like, holy crap, yeah. how did you get that done so quick? <laughs> at <laughs> office works, our office works at Braddon. <laughs> Thanks, guys, at Braddon. Yeah. Yeah. So, All right. Drinking Ashleen. Nice. Um, Noknama. This is fantastic. As you can see, I'm actually enjoying that one a fair bit. That's Can't a straight for the me remember what cask it was now. Straight for urban, that one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and that was no, um, if you if you like straight bourbon cask, that is a sensational um no, that's fantastic. Just can't say it. <laughs> and then just to share the fan boys. Uh, very nice, very nice. Yeah, I don't have play bells, so I've got this thing. Shiny. <laughs> nice. Yeah. We have shiny labels. That one won the silver at the World Whiskies Awards, and yeah, we've just nice. put it into. So it's only second best now. thing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we what, uh, what, what come runner up to? Do you know? Well, it was actually in the same category as this labels. <laughs> <laughs> Knocked himself out of the comp. Labels. I was expecting we could be joint winners. I, I don't know. Well, let's let's kick it off. Uh, Fifteen minutes in. <laughs> uh, so, Rod, you you burst onto the scene and you have come out of the gates just blinding speed, right? You, and you are yeah. you are everywhere, right? And I mean everywhere. Um, and you've got the brand out there and you've picked up some awards and you've, you've got a really solid reputation that go Thanks, back mate. to the start. You're welcome, mate. Go back to the start. Yeah. Um, so from Blackgate, you and Phil came out and went, we're going to have a crack at our own distillery. Walk yeah. us through that process to the day that you actually released. Yeah. So, I mean, part of the discussion was, how is this practically going to work? Because Phil runs a traditional Chinese uh, medicine practice and I was running a law firm. And so it was, I suppose, initially it was going to be something that was a side interest and we would grow it slowly. But then we started to do the maths of it and we were thinking, well, you know, we might as well make a big still and, you know, produce more economies of scale and all those sorts of things. And we... We came up with the concept of what we called the men's still cycle, uh, which was the, uh, the, you know, the kind of pattern by which we would be making our whiskey. Um, and our men's still cycle was uh, a, a fortnightly cycle. We had, we, had, we had so much fun in the early days. It was, um, it was just a lot of giggles and silliness and we we're both because we're both business people. We we did our homework, so we went and visited lots of places, and we asked, we spoke to lots of people, and we worked out, um, you know, basically right from the start the way that we wanted to do our whiskey. And and so the rules were: we wanted to use big barrels, we wanted to age it for longer. We noticed that a lot of Australian distillers were using smaller casks, and we were concerned that that may be rushing the process. Um, and so one of the distinctive things for us was to um, have a process where we were making whiskey with bigger barrels, which would take longer. So we, we recognised from the outset it would probably take about four years before we had products ready for market. We, Because we both had our own income from other businesses, we didn't need to start with gin and vodka. 
we just wanted to make whiskey and i've been a whiskey lover for almost 20 years so um i you know i, I knew exactly what i wanted to do um and then we decided to have consistency in as many elements of the process as possible so we over the first four or five runs we developed a mash bill that we're happy with and then we've stuck with that um we've now done almost 100 batches uh, and we same batch um, recipe that we used at about run five. Um, we we outsource our uh, wash production to a local brewery on the Central Coast, which is great for local business on the Central Coast. And I guess that's one of the things we learned when we were touring around the country was a lot of the Tasmanian distilleries, they had followed the path of using uh, an external brewer. We do actually want to bring it in-house, uh, and that's something that we will look to do in the next few years. But initially it was a case of, let's there are so many balls to, to to juggle here let's focus on getting one thing right at a time so let's get the local brewery to make the wash for us they're a nationally award-winning brewery so there wasn't a great risk with that um and they have just been fantastic their name is six string brewery at erina and that, they're fantastic guys cracking, um, beers. Yeah. cracking beers right so um, that's been a, a really fundamental thing. And then um, all of our bourbon barrels to date have been from Heaven Hill, uh, and that just gives a consistency to the bourbons. And uh, one of the things that I did was try all of the bourbons I could on the market. I wasn't a huge bourbon drinker. Um, I, I, I don't mind bourbon, but, but I wasn't a huge fan of bourbon at that stage. Um, and I just chose the one that I liked the best, and it was an Elijah Craig small batch uh, expression. Um, and I've actually come to really love bourbon. So that's one of the things I've done the journey, I think, is um, I probably have 50 bourbons on my shelf at home. Um, you know, I, lo I love bourbon, uh, mm. particularly if at the end of a you know, hot day, you know, on a block of ice, whatever, it's beautiful. Um, but anyway, so Heaven Hill and then with the sherry casks, uh, we started with the 300-litre McWilliams casks, but very quickly decided we wanted to go with Spanish casks. And so... Um, we now have about 120 of the 250-litre uh, casks from Fernando de Castilla, and that's made a massive difference to the quality of the sherry whiskey that we're making. So basically we waited almost four years before we released. We waited till we thought that the whiskey was ready, and I think that that's, that patience has meant that the quality of the whiskey right from the get-go has been mm. very good. Uh, and we've just, I suppose, our first, so we launched in April last year, so we're up to about... Um, you know, about 10, 10 and a half months ago that we launched. And in that time, we've released about seven different expressions and it's given us a chance to get a sense of what the market likes and what's working well. And that's helping us to narrow down what we want to do. And I guess the, the plan for us is to maybe have four or five products that are reliably available um, all year round um, and to, to build a following around those particular expressions. So... One of them is a, a lovely expression we make, which starts in a bourbon barrel and finishes in a Saturn cask, um, like the Nectar Door. Uh, it's just simply delicious, and we call that Noble Lane. Um, of course, the, the Botrytis is known as the Noble Rot. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> and then uh, you know, there's one, the Silk Road, which uh, Toddy's drinking tonight. Silk Road is one where it was actually an accident, as often these things are. We put some of our new make in a virgin American oak right in this at the start, and we forgot about it, to be honest. And after about 13 and a half months, I tasted it, and I was horrified. It was just utterly saturated with oaks and tannins. 
And so I thought, oh, we'll put it into, we emptied a, at that stage, we emptied a 200 litre bourbon cask. Let's put it in there and leave that for a few years and see if it can come good. And did it come good? Um, what we found was that the oaks and tannins receded and integrated with the rest uh, and the bourbon just nurtured it up. And what we ended up with was a whiskey that had a whole lot of lovely rich mouthfeel from the virgin oak and a lot of spiciness from that virgin American oak. But it had settled down over, you know, two and a half years of sitting in an older bourbon cask. And that has sort of um, really set an idea in our minds about the importance of and the possibilities of using virgin oak just as um, an, an element or a layer to the whiskey that you're making. And if you look at other traditions, particularly if you look at cognac maturation, 20% of cognac, the eau de vie, is put into virgin oak casks, French oak in that case, and then it's moved into other things. And the cognac makers have, have known for hundreds of years that a little bit of virgin oak really lifts um, the spirit and, and gives it another dimension. But but it can't, it's not a way of making whiskey that can be done quickly. So if you're wanting to put out a release in two or three years, then virgin oak is going to be problematic. If you've got four plus years with a bit of virgin oak at the beginning, what you're going to find is that it elevates that whiskey and gives it another layer of richness and complexity. So we are now using both virgin American oak and virgin French oak for that. Um, and that's partly, you know, why I was interested, you know, I'm drinking this one now, the Spirit Thief. Um, I was interested in trying their um, spirit because they are uh, experimenting a lot with um, with the French oak and, and it's really lovely. Um, it's quite a different flavour profile to the American oak. French yeah. oak uh, is a lot more delicate You've got to be careful with it because it's a lot more rich in tannins. I think um, it's like eight, eight to ten times as much tannins. So um, sometimes with cognac, they'll only put the eau de vie in the French oak cask for two weeks, for example, in the virgin oak. Oh, wow. But a really, really short period of time, just enough to give a little bit of infusion. Um, and do you think that's at a, at a higher ABV or somewhere lower? You mean cognac? Well, cognac. I, I know nothing about cognac. I can tell so, you. I can tell you. Just come back. Are they going to put it in? I'm the man. At, man. A, at a really high level, time sort of like regular yeah. calf strength. Yeah. So let me just uh, tell me if I'm boring you, but I'll just give you a bit of a, a spiel about cognac. So obviously cognac is made from uh, Uni Blanc, a, a great variety, uh, and they do a double distillation method. All of the stills in France have to be the same. So there's no variation in the shape of the still. They're all 2,500 litre stills. Um, and the O to V after the second run is about 74% ABV. So it's just a little bit higher than ours. After the first run, the low wines are about run about 28%. So they're a little bit higher than ours. Uh, and by the way, they start, the wine that they start with is about 11 to 12%. So everything is just a little bit higher than what we're doing with our uh, whiskey production. Um, so it's about 74% ABV. They will barrel um, barrel it around about then, or they might bring it down a few percent. But essentially, the way that they will bring the ABV down is a very gradual thing over many years. Um, they'll often add a little bit of water each year. If they've got a maturation cycle that lasts 30 or 40 years, just adding a little bit every year, and they do it very gradually or they'll deliberately use very humid warehouses where 
the the alcohol more alcohol will evaporate and the ABV will come down naturally through angel shear loss. Um, but it's a very very complex um, process, and again, their focus is on decades rather than on a few years. And mm. I guess that's the thing for me. I'm lucky that I'm relatively young, I suppose. I'm in my early fifties, but you know, I could be still doing this in thirty years. Um, you know, it's or robots. Well, <laughs> potentially, I don't know. But as a craft kind of activity, yeah. I would hope that I'll have a 25 or 30-year-old whiskey that I've made on the central coast of New South Wales because there are strategies and techniques that I can use that I've learned from France. Yeah. Spain is the same. I mean, the Spanish climate is horrific um, in the south of Spain. It's so much hotter than here and so much more humid. But the best sellers will be ageing the sherry for up to 60 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have developed ways of combating the heat. Um, so uh, in cognac, part of the, the rule of thumb is you constantly top up the barrel. So they know that if the barrel is fuller, the, the, so there's less air in the barrel, then its maturation will be slower. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Um, I must say, I, I, when, you, when you started uh, talking about uh, cognac, and Armagnac, I imagine, um, mm. and you went on your big trip, I thought, you're developing techniques from cognac from Armagnac and applying them to whiskey. Uh, and there's two great books, and I cannot remember the names, um, mm. two little books um, written by a Frenchman. Yeah, you'll never find it. <laughs> I know it. I've got I, it at I, home. I've got, I've got them. He's the bloke that ended up... Um... His surname is Robin or Robin. Yep. Uh, yep. And he's, he's ended America. up. He's yeah. He's in the US now making American brandy. Yeah. And he's, he's a fifth or sixth generation um, cognac producer. Yeah. And so it's really the first time that English speaking people have had an opportunity to learn the techniques that uh, he's talking about. So, you Absolutely. know, most most material literature about cognac uh, is in the French language. Yeah. Uh, if it's in English, it's just some sort of travel guide or something very basic with lots of photos, but no technical information. No, and those um, two books do contain the technical information. They do. They yeah. do. They, 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 they talk about. They talk about as well. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very poetic. It's I mean, it's very French in its sensibility. Yeah. Um, but but th- there are so many things about the the cognac maturation style, which is. It's um, a lot of it is very sort of artisanal, and it's not. I don't know that there's been a lot of scientific research into the methodologies, but um, they're things that have developed over hundreds of years. So, for example, how do you reduce the ABV of uh, a cognac to bottle it? So, um, I spoke to a few different producers while I was there, and the minimum period of time that anyone said they would reduce the ABV down by more than a few percent would be three to six months. And yeah. the average answer was about two years to bring the ABV down. And so you've got to be planning many years in advance to release your your future cognacs. And one of the places I went to which I found the most inspiring was to Jean Filiou, which uh, the, the Filiou family are very famous in cognac production. There's always a Filiou at the head of the tasting panel for Hennessy. Um, that they have been for hundreds of years. And this, uh, the Filiou house, Jean Filiou, um, their cognac has the record for the, the highest price for a single nip of their cognac 
in any bar in the world. Yeah. Simply fabulous cognac. And when you go there and, and, and meet with, the, with, with uh, Christoph, you understand that they, they are finishing their cognacs in 200-year-old barrels. Mm. So wow. they, don't, they never throw out barrels. They will move the spirit through increasingly older casks and they will blend the final product in a 200-year-old 1,000-litre cask and it will sit there for about a year and a half and they'll stir it every day. Like it's a labour of love. And by the time it gets bottled, it's simply, it's just nectar of the gods. It's unbelievable. Um, so I guess in Australia, do we have many people who would have the patience to follow those sorts of techniques? It's not possible to make whiskey that way on a large-scale production. Yeah. So, you know, the producers that want to make hundreds of thousands to millions of litres of spirit a year could never do that style of production. No. Um, it's only for a smaller production house, and you know that's what I want for Amberlane. I want us to make, I want us to make a reasonable volume to satisfy global demand. So maybe thirty thousand bottles a year or something. But I don't want to be making hundreds or millions of liters a year. It's just, you know, it's just ridiculous, and you you can't create the premium product that I'm I'm keen to try and make. Mm. No, that's that, that is very very cool. Um, you know Holly Klimtworth. It's just yes. Coming back, and and she has chronicled her her visit to cognac, uh, and she got some really really detailed technical information, and she's just been posting it on Instagram one after another. And yep. I, I said to Holly, when you come back, can you put that into a document of some sort? And she said she that's what her intention is to do to share mm -hmm. it because mm -hmm. uh, the French. And you, you agree 100% with what you're saying. There's certain techniques which um, are just, they're history, right? And they're practical. Um, and they're not marketing BS. They're, they're real hardcore techniques. And if you take one like breaking down, um, uh, breaking down spirit, you know, we started early in the piece and it was basically because of the two French books that I read about the importance of breaking down in, in stages as opposed to uh, mm. I'm going to take my whiskey from 64% out of a barrel to 47%. Mm. Here goes a whole lot of water. Let's see what happens. Mm. We did that at first, right? um, but learned pretty quickly that's not what you do. Uh, it, the brandy techniques are just adding it gradually. And it's, yep. um, yeah, they're, they're different techniques to apply and they're, they're fascinating. So I love you. I love you. I love it. I I, um, I also spent some time in that trip late last year in Spain, yeah. and particularly with uh, Jan Pedersen at Fernando de Castilla, where we get our casks from. And he was talking about the impact with the Solera system. So, you know, let's say every six months they'll move, they'll empty, they might take, you know, 15, 20% from the, the Solera cask, which is the one at the bottom. Yeah. And then they'll move 20% from the next barrel up and 20% up that, etc. Um, what he said was that for the first month or so after you've moved spirit to a new barrel, he said there is there is sherry shock. There's like something happens and the sherry doesn't taste right and it's really uncomfortable. And then he said you can feel it integrating again after a month. Yep. And um it's, it's really interesting, like, and, and I suppose if you spend enough time with your casks and you get to know the spirit well enough, you can recognise these these nuances. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. No, it's one of the, the, the big learnings uh, that, that Todd and I learnt on the job, not from reading or not from any, any, any other distillery, it was when you taste something in a barrel, it tastes a certain way. When you separate the whiskey from the wood, it changes. Mm. When you put it in a receiver, it changes. When you add water, it changes. When it's in the bottle, it changes. So mm. when you're pulling samples from casks, in your mind, you've got to be able to find a way to adjust what you're tasting going, well, I think it's going to go this direction or it's going to go that direction. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's, pardon me, that's been a big learning uh, for us in, in what we have done. So, um, mm. yeah, for any, any new distillers out there, don't dump your water in in one hit yeah. and be mindful of the flavours in the barrel um, to what you want in a bottle. I mean, that, that seems to be something that you can't teach that. You've no. got to experience got to that experience over time. It. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And it's a, that would be a huge risk. <coughs> oh, yeah. What you're trying to achieve. How would you, if you were a new distiller, you were just starting off now and you've, you've had this advice that you don't do that, how do you minimise that risk? You think can you to our guest? How would you answer that question, Rob? Can you? Can I think the reality is that actors or can you experiment. How? How? What's possible? Do you I, think? I well, you know, I think, I think you need to be tasting things other than your own, and I think you need to be getting feedback on what you're doing. So, yep. um, in about July last year, we did a fairly scary thing. We invited about twenty guests to the Oak Barrel for a private tasting panel. And we had quite senior people there, for example, Andrew Durbidge from the Scott Mulch Whiskey Society, uh, Whiskey and Wisdom writer, um, yep. to just taste 10 you know, blind samples from our, our casks. And I can't tell you how invaluable that feedback was yep. for them to tell me what they thought about these different things. And we've got another private tasting panel. We have a membership program called Amblers we have a, a private tasting panel coming up on the 10th of March where we'll be, again, we'll be giving members of our, our group private samples of different casks and getting their feedback. And I think it's really important to listen to what other people are saying um, and not just be in your own little echo chamber yeah. um, and to make peace with the fact that the first whiskey that you put out will not be your best. And you just, yeah. you just need to recognize that this is a process of, of growing a bit like the whiskey itself is maturing with time you as a whiskey maker will mature with time as well mm, no no very very good advice there we have um a tasting panel uh which we assembled and it's called the assembled yeah the, the avengers <laughs> the assembled um no superpowers no superpowers no <laughs> um, <laughs> And they all come. You're more bluntly honest. Yeah, yeah. You want honesty. You want honesty. Yeah, absolutely. It's people in the industry and people outside the industry, and no distillers, right? Um, and independently, yeah, you know, we give them, we give them the samples, and we say, give us your feedback, and then we sort of pull back the, their feedback and how they describe it, their 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 descriptors, and then we we sort of start to put together. A spider graph of the 
the flavor profiles and then we, we, get, we basically get a map and we look at it and go, right, okay, people are picking up this and people are picking up that. I find that, with yeah, it's very, very important. Don't don't stay in your, your own uh, little world, your own echo chamber. It'll drive you crazy for starters. Um, it's important to get outside feedback. It is. We've got, we've got, just before we get too far along, we've got a question off from the um, from Facebook. Yeah. It's to do with adding water quickly. Can you guys explain what sort of off-flight characters you get from dumping water on or from the whiskey shock? Soap. Yeah. You can get a soapy um, mouthfeel. At the extreme end, it's soapiness, yeah. Yeah, the extreme end. There's a technical term for it, um, saponification, I think it is. Uh, don't quote me on that, though. I probably pronounced it wrong. Uh, and, yes, yeah, water and alcohol coming together, and they're not that happy. So um, if, if you shock it, um, yeah, yeah it's, you shock a whiskey, it, it, um, it can come back, but sometimes it doesn't come back. So, yeah, if you're getting a soapy note, more than likely it's something to do with the way you've broken it down. It also it also just flattens the experience. So, yeah. you know, the whiskey might have been tasting wonderful and you might have mixed a few samples and added a bit of water and at the time it tasted wonderful. But um, if you add the water too quickly, you just won't have the sparkle effect of that whiskey. It will, a part of it will just deaden. Mm, I agree. We, we had one release, um, which was called Blue Zero One. Um, and we we loved it out of the cask. And on the bench, we worked out how much water to add. And this was in the days when we were just dumping water. Um, and we did it and we tasted it. And we had, um, I think it was Dan Hutchison Reed was in the shed at the time. That's right. Um, yep. Ex um, Archie Rose. Um, that, that was the last time. And um, we looked at each other and we all tasted it and we went, Oh, I screwed the pooch on that one. <laughs> we thought we'd actually screwed the whiskey. It, it just went mm. soapy and flat, like mm. what you said, flat. Um, and then we left it for about a month, and slowly but surely it came came back, and it was back to where we wanted it to, to be. Yeah. Um, that was the last time we, we did that. That probably applies with what I just described with uh, Jan, Jan Pedersen with the sherry, that yep. it takes about a month if you're going to introduce a lot at once it takes about a month to integrate when i while i was in cognac i spent some time with a, a guy called gillen Grobrand, who makes premium blends of cognac and he um he he spent some time with me showing me how that he how he does the blending and you know if i'm blending some samples i'll just um i'll just use a plastic syringe and i'll draw you know certain mills of this and mills of that and you know spin it around a bit in the glass and then see what it tastes like that he he was actually he would get very generous quantities of, of these samples so he'd have 500 mils of each and we're talking some of the, these cognacs were 100 years old mm. um but then when he was blending he'd have two 500 liter um vessels and he would he would just pour it back and forth and back and i thought he might do it a couple of times and he did it like 50 times before he was prepared <laughs> taste it and he's like yeah, you've got to recreate like the months and months that this will be take to integrate. So, of course, I'm going to be doing this like 50 times. It was really quite eye-opening. Um, and, and what you'll get after mixing it that much, it'll taste quite a bit different from just, just mixing it a little bit, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. No, that's that's cool. Yeah, when you were saying that story, it just got me thinking. We um, have you got an Anton Park for? Um, yeah, I do to measure the ABV. Yeah. That was a game changer for us um, in the sense of blending, because what yeah. would happen previously would have a 500 mil flask, right, to float the alchemeter. All right. Yeah. So you're blending away, and before you knew it, you had like <laughs> five of the fuckers, right? <laughs> and, you, and you didn't know what they. Oh, what are we going to do with this? Well, we'll do something with it, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But with the Anton Parr, it's brilliant because you can actually just blend in a in a glass, all right, and get yeah. maybe measurement straight away. So yeah, no. it paid for itself within within a oh. month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Was, uh, Justin samples we had to pull to get this. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, what the French would say, what you do with all these samples. They, they have a concept of seeding a barrel. So yeah. even if you've got something that's really lovely, you just put a little bit in a cask that's not doing very well. And they yeah. have this sense that it will actually savour the whole thing and, and lift the whole thing. Yeah, so that's cool. I'll often, uh, if I'm, I'm playing around and I might have, you know, 100 mil of something, I'll just find a cask that's reasonably similar if it's it's predominantly sherry or predominantly bourbon, I'll just tip it into one of the casks, um, and it will just add another layer to what what's aging in that cask. Yeah, are you listening, Todd? So it doesn't go in; it goes into the <laughs> back to the barrel. Back to the barrel. <laughs> the angels take it's it all, up. It's it. all about perspective. If you get paid in whiskey, where do you think it goes? <laughs> the, the Todd share. <laughs> um, I'd be interested in. Uh, in having a discussion, Rod, um, on uh, Mashville. So one of the things that we've learned is, so we have a, a flavour profile, I am, which is basically four malts. Uh, one's a chocolate, one's a heavily roasted, and the other two uh, are, are base malts, right? Mm. Anyway, our flavour profile on our new make is nutty, chocolate biscuit, uh, choc cherry, as someone said, peanut brittle and choc cherry, smash them together. Hmm. That's sort of the flavor profile. Hmm. It does not work in bourbon casks, right? And it's taken us four years to come to the realization it the does not work in bourbon yeah. casks. Yeah. So we've actually pulled number one cask out, which was five years, um, and recast hmm. it, right? Wow. So we have other mash bills and we know that they will work with, with uh, bourbon casks. Hmm. Have you encountered that or just in your playing around experimentation and talking with others that you know always work across the board in all sorts of cast formats? Yeah. I, I had an interesting conversation with Gareth Andrews about this. Oh, yeah, yeah. At uh, Fleurieur because he was a brewer before becoming a distiller. Yeah. Uh, and he... Um, you know, his attitude is, yes, you have a different mash bill according to the cask yep. that you're, you're putting your spirit in. Um, we've, we've just used the one mash bill for, for the last 95 or so goes, right. and we find it goes equally well with either bourbon or sherry cask. Yeah. Um, and maybe we're, we're, I, won't, I won't go into the details of what's in the mash bill, but there's only three different barleys that go into it. Um, two of which are sort of pale ale ingredients. So it, right. it's a pretty basic uh, mash bill. 
and and maybe maybe the fact that you've got four ingredients one of which has a very highly sort of roasted note that it may be that that's why it's competing against the the bourbon i don't know but um i, well, I think you're, i think yeah. you're right but the funny thing was we had um a, a whiskey club taste it at two years and well, they two years otherwise you possibly would have released it yeah it, it was it was 18 months oh, 18 months that's right and they loved it and they said fantastic this is really interesting release it now but we, yep. we chose to see let's see how it develops over time yeah no it yep. didn't work so i yep. think you're right I, I i've come to the same conclusion i think it's the roasted malts uh it's, it's probably too busy for for the for the cast uh, mm. and it's not allowing the, the bourbon cast to speak so I, I, um, think, I think that's right i think you can a bit like a noisy room if there's too many people talking it, it's not really very pleasant right um <laughs> yeah. it's i think sometimes simplicity is best and yeah. having a fewer it's a bit like going if you go to a a, a michelin star uh, restaurant a lot of the meals are striking by the fact that they are very simple and that there may only be four or five ingredients on the plate. Uh, but I think simplicity, if everything is executed perfectly, that, that that will be a fantastic meal. In the same way with whiskey, I think sometimes less is more. Mm, yeah. Have you experimented with uh, yeast? No. No, we've, we just use a, a dry distiller's yeast, the same one from day one. So we haven't. And look, I know that there are lots of things that we could do around that, but I, I guess my attitude has been, let's let's just have a consistent um, new make that we can, and and really the levers that we can pull then around that are the casks and the maturation technique and how we blend. Um, let's have a very very reliable new make, um, and we're very very proud of our new make. And I don't, I mean, it may be that at some point down the track we play around with some peated stuff, but. At the moment, um, I just there are so many lovely peated whiskies that you can buy on the market. I'm happy that the, basically the division is if it's unpeated, it's Amberlane that I drink generally, or Australian whiskey, some other Australian whiskey. If it's peated whiskey, it's something that I buy, um, probably from Isla. You know, it'll be a Lagavulin or a, um, a, a Bemore, um, you know, something like that. Yeah. 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 So going back to Virgin Oak, so when you said you went into Virgin Oak, that's a ballsy move. Um, Virgin Oak is, is really challenging for, for many reasons that you, that you said. Yeah. Yep. But you got me thinking, um, you know how you started in Virgin and, and then you recast. Would it work the other way if you had a tired whiskey and you were thinking, oh, look, it's, it just needs to be amped? Um, and going into a virgin and finishing in a virgin, do you think that would be make some some sense that it, it could actually freshen a cask? Uh, I, I think that there is a danger that uh, there it, it will be too coarse with yeah. new oak. Yeah, I think so. Yes, I I would try and revivify the spirit by putting it into a virgin oak cask. But, but my expectation would be that I would then have to put it back into an older cask for a year Ooh, before it was ready. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This oh, is yeah. cool. This is cool. Yeah. <laughs> this, is deep, this is deep dive stuff. Uh, Mick from Imbues commented. Uh, so Mick, he, um, we had him on the show two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Two yeah. weeks ago. He's released his um, single mole or 
We'll yep. just release a single malt. And we actually tasted four of his mm. uh, unreleased, and they were all shit. <laughs> <laughs> he was online, and we were tasting, and they, they were absolutely stunning. Absolute crackers. Every yeah. one of them was a stunner. Every one of them was different. Yeah. Um, and it just reinforced that there's some people out there doing some really good stuff. You know, they're really trying to make their own style of whiskey. Um, and he was talking as well about uh, a different type of season, the seasoning the cask. Yeah, yeah. Actually, just, just then, what was it? It was mulberry. Well, so he, that was a mulberry. He just commented a mulberry on barrel with virgin oak. Some, um, single and, the mulberry barrel. And, um, and virgin oak. I, if I remember correctly, because I did also drink quite a lot, um, he was storing his barrels with spirit in them and decanting mm. that spirit, putting his new make in there, and then putting that. that remember, he was, he was using spirit. You know, we, we've all talked about our first barrel is probably not going to be our best. So, so what Mick was doing was using his first barrel liquid to season other barrels, and mm -hmm. over time, it's it's sort of getting his DNA through all the barrels that he's using. So, in thirty years, that'll be really interesting. <laughs> it will be. No, it's yeah. really it's really cool. There's some different approaches to making whiskey. Mm. I mean, the questions asked: Will Australia every have its identities like Scotland of Isla? highland lowlands and that the reality is no um it's too restrictive yeah exactly <laughs> i mean i make single malt whiskey in capity and two and a half down two and a half hours down the road brian makes um, blackgate whiskey it's totally different mm. totally different climate totally different everything jones and smith, jones and smith an hour away totally different right it, so, it may be a reflection of our culture and the fact that in australia people are quite happy to break the rules and try new things. And it, it's a kind of a, a place where, um, yeah, we, we like to break rules and, and do things differently. Whereas I, yeah. I suspect that um, English culture and Scottish culture are a bit more traditionalist in their approach. Yes. Yeah. And we're oh, yeah. just a new industry. We're only, what, 30 years old. So, um you know, we're still settling on, on on how to deal with the Australian climate. And Australia is such a large continent and there are so many different climates within Australia that uh, I think that that's another reason why, as you say, there'll never be any uniformity in how we make our whiskey. I mean, your conditions in Kapiti are, are quite different from mine in um, Wyong, uh, Yarramong Valley, which is, and we're both very different from Hobart and so on. So it's, yeah. it's just, there's just no consistency of climate. And, and so we all have to come up with our own solutions based upon the, the realities of where we're living and, and what we're dealing with. I agree. I think the other thing too is um, it's a bit of a generalisation, but um, in Scotland, if we reference Scotland, uh, sourcing of barley is very much driven by using certain varieties of barley which are designed for distillation whereas in Australia a lot of distillers are using brewer's barley which is yep. lower yielding but packs big big flavors so um, uh, the the Scottish marketing spin that 80% of your flavor comes from a, a barrel and barley really doesn't make a blind bit of difference 
a lot of Australians, not just Australians for that matter, are saying totally disagree with that point of view. Barley has flavour. Whiskey is an agricultural-based product. You wanted to speak uh, of, the, of the barley. So, um, yeah, I, I think um, yeah, it's an exciting time to make whiskey, isn't it? Yeah, and, and the obvious uh, response to that issue around barley is um, peated whiskey is just so powerfully influenced by the peat, and that comes from the barley, right? Yeah. does not come from the barrels. Mm. No, no. Exactly. And, and it's a completely different product, a peated whiskey to an unpeated whiskey. There's, yeah. there's just chalk and cheese. So that's, that is the barley, pure and simple. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got... Um, Aussie Craft Distiller Shooting the Shirt, promo time. Oh, yeah. We're doing um, a tasting session uh, with Waterford um, Distillery uh, at the Oak Barrel uh, in April in April the 26th or something like that. Yeah. Um, we haven't got a ticket link yet, no, so as soon no, it's as coming. we have that, it's coming. It'll go we'll up. Fire it out, but not before we've bought our own tickets and... <laughs> <laughs> we don't buy tickets. <laughs> We're presenting. Um <laughs> And it's really cool because it came about because we did a shoot in the ship with head distiller at Waterford, uh, Ned Gahan, and we crapped on for like two and a bit of hours. Yeah, it was, it was full on. The Waterford story is is the Brook Laddie story, but taken further, right? Um, and I approached them and I said, guys, you've got an absolute fan base uh, in Australia. Mm -hmm. uh, what you're doing, you know, putting barley front and centre, right, which is what Brooke Laddie uh, does as well, as you know. Um, anyway, and said, if I debrand um, simply a couple of distillers, we would love to do a tasting for Waterford uh, in Australia. And they loved it. They loved it. So they sent product over and we're doing it. And it's Dave Withers from Archie Rose. It's myself and it's uh, Nick Hope from Dusty Barrel. And it's going to be a high energy, high fun night, mm. all about the love of Waterford and the love of barley. And, you know, whiskey is an agricultural based product. Um, you've got to be there, mate. It will be both um, in person at the Oak Barrel yep. and we're also going to be streaming it out as well with tasting kits with tasting kits yeah limited number of tasting kits so. number of tasting kits yeah, yeah we've only got a handful of bottles yeah um, so yeah if you miss out i'm really sorry but you got, got to get in really quick but you can still play along at home if you have some of the bottles on hand yeah so yeah just waterford and all about barley and and really showcasing tawa and mm. barley it's we also yeah, sorry, we're having our own little private moment here. <laughs> it's been a long time coming. Yeah, We've been yeah, holding on to these bottles for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it'll be good. Feels oh, like they can yeah. show on the road and bring it to Melbourne. Mm. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the craft still is road, road trip. Road trip. Another one. Well, you've done a Craftworks road trip. We yeah. should do a, yeah. a shit in the uh, shit one as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All the way through to South Australia as well. And once we hit South Australia and visit Youngie, then we're going to have to go all the way over to Perth and visit Cam. Yeah, we're going to have to retire. We've got to bring in more money. <laughs> uh, so going back to um, your approach to selling, Rod. So, so mm -hmm. you're doing events. 
right? You're putting a lot of energy into events and putting a lot of energy into building a community. Um, what is your approach to to generate an income? Because as you said, it is a business. So yeah. what, what's the reality? Can, can we try and just, in the same sentence, just answer a question from the floor as well? So this is quite early on. How did you go about establishing your brand? I think it ties in a little bit with... Um, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah good question, Tim. Yeah. Well, I suppose the starting point for me was... Um, you know, you look at, so you've got to think about what is your audience? What what are the personas that you're trying to reach in the whiskey that you're making? And so step one was, well, me. I, I was the nerd who was going to the Oak Barrel to hear Day Withers talk about Glendronic and so on. Mm. Um, you know, I was the nerd going around to whiskey distilleries around Australia. I was the nerd that had a collection of 500 bottles of whiskey before I ever got around to starting my own distillery. So... You know, it basically finds people like me. Um, and so I guess um, at the shows, which is where all the nerds congregate, to be frank, um, you know, that was the starting point. I don't know how many of us there are, but it, I would have thought there would be at least 10,000 people in Australia who would be pretty diehard whiskey fans. That's the starting point. Um, yep. That's the low-hanging fruit. But then that size of audience is not sufficient to sustain a distillery of any size um, because with a very crowded market now where there are several hundred distilleries, you know, you can't expect that. In the old days, when I started collecting, you would you would have tried something from every distillery in Australia, but now it's not realistic to expect that people will do that. Mm. So you need to think of a broader market than just whiskey lovers. And I think yep. that that's summed up. I think there was a bit of chatter about this uh, recently on one of the Facebook pages about exactly how much Australian whiskey is consumed by Australians. Yeah, yeah, it was good. good from, uh, from 2021, there was, there was um, if, you, if you turn this into 700 mil size bottles, so that it's sort of kind for kind, in Australia in 2021, there was about 52 million bottles of whiskey purchased by Australians. And only about 580,000 of those, that is about 1.1%, were Australian whiskey. In other words, almost 99% of whiskey purchased in Australia is from overseas. 47% yep. of it is from Scotland. About 38% is from the United States. And so there is this massive market of people out there outside of the Australian whiskey bubble who are just buying the whiskey they've always bought. Yep. Or they're going into a Dan Murphy's or a Liquorland or Vintage Cellars or whatever, and they are buying whiskey as a present for someone. So maybe 50% of whiskey that's sold in Australia is as a present. And so you need to be reaching those people as well. Mm. And there are various ways to do that. But if you're just speaking to the whiskey nuts, it's a very, very small segment of the market. And I think that... Um, companies like Archie Rose understand that. Um, Ned's is another one where, firstly, they're working on product at a price point where um, someone who is not used to spending more than $100 on a bottle of whiskey, they would consider buying uh, something uh, that is, you know, is priced around $100 or $110 made by an Australian uh, distillery. But So there's that price point issue. But for many of us, that's a challenge because how do you produce at volume uh, as a craft producer, 
and put it on a shelf and make any money for 100, mm. 110, particularly when you start getting into the field of having to pay a whole of excise as well. Yeah. Um, so you, you've got to find, you've got to be creative and find your market. So one of the strategies for us is that um, I used to knock around as a, I was a, running a law firm and running business meetings and hosting discussions with business owners. And so for us, running corporate tastings is a very important strategy so that uh, we are promoting our product to people who actually have a disposable income that could could support buying a bottle of whiskey for 150 or $200. And they are people who, they might be very educated wine consumers, for example. Um, and that, that is a very big potential market for Australian distilleries is to, to think, well, what about the wine drinkers of Australia? Um, whereas, as I said before, almost all whiskey in Australia that's bought in Australia is overseas whiskey. If you look at wine, the vast majority of wine bought in Australia is Australian wine. So it's the yeah. opposite pattern. Mm. Why is it that Australians buy Australian wine, but they buy, but they buy Scottish and American whiskey? Um, so that there is that massive market that we can tap into. But we need to be talking their language and and um, some of that is price point but but some of that is also um, trying to create events where people who are educated as wine drinkers and who are prepared to spend a lot of money on a bottle of wine at a restaurant they would be prepared to try whiskey as well i i i i'll add to what you just said there because i some very wise words there it really is i think what starwood did with twofold mm. was genius right now some distillers go oh no it's no good low-balling uh, Australian whiskey pricing oh no it's not good but what it did is it created a runway mm. from oh I can buy my my Jim Beam and mm. for a few extra bucks I could actually buy Australia once they're on the runway and they're drinking Starwood and the Starwood whiskey is a good whiskey there's yeah. no question about it right and they go, well, what else is out there? Oh, if I spend a bit more, oh, I could get a, I can get an Amberlane or I can get a Craftworks or I can get a Flurio. So it's it's pulling people in. It's a gateway drug. It's a gateway. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I like runway better, personally. But <laughs> um, so I think I think it's genius. I really do. Um, mm. I think the big guys are, are watching, but not reacting at this stage. Yeah. And if you look what happened in the craft brew space, craft beer sort of crept up on the mainstream brewers, uh, breweries, and then it was like, holy hell, where'd they come from? Right. Mm. And I think you could see the same scenario, um, but they've got the dollars and the marketing, the big budgets to, to counter and, and push down Australia. But um, I don't think it's in their interest to do it. I think there's, there's a, they could afford to give away three, four, five, six, eight percent of the market. It wouldn't impact their bottom line at all, but it'd be mm. massive for Australia. Well, it would, and and really, if 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 only, I mean, the percentage has picked up a little bit from one point one percent, but let's say it's two percent now. Yeah. Um, like we could we could increase fivefold the sales that we're creating in Australia. There should be plenty of space for all of these new distilleries, yeah. but I think part of it is perhaps as a as an industry, it's. Um, communicating to Australians, hey, guys, support local. Um, mm -hmm. It might cost just a little bit more, um, but, you know, you're supporting, you know, Australian-made. Um, 
and other industries have done that very, very successful, and I don't quite know why we can't. Tasmania is very organised as a collaborative in presenting Tasmanian whiskey. You know, it's almost like yeah. a closed shop in a way. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. very, very good at promoting There's Tasmanian whiskey. Um, and whereas mainland Australia, everyone's doing their own thing and there's not a, a great deal of collaboration. So I think I think the ADA has done a great job historically in advocating for relief from excise. And I think that $350,000 excise rebate's wonderful. But I yep. think that a really great thing that the ADA could be doing is, is helping be our voice to Australians to say, hey, support Australian made, let's get up the percentage of, of Australians drinking Australian whiskey. Part of that too, though, is um, the formation of associations. Like the Tasmanians have done it really well. The yeah. South Australians have done it really well. They've got local government support. Uh, the Victorians have done it well. His uh, mm. money, you know, his tourism money, go for it, right? In New South Wales, crickets. Mm. <laughs> and we got our ass kicked at the ADA last year, and rightly so. We're in New South Wales. <laughs> What's he yeah. uh, he's, he's yeah. gone. He's drunk. Yeah. What's going on? With You've Todd? gone all robotic. <laughs> what, while we wait for Todd to come back it's online, you should throw him under the bus right now. <laughs> I'm here. Uh, let me just finish. Uh, what I was going to say is, uh, oh, let's try to the problem yeah. is when he's talking, the internet's flooded. Yeah. Sorry. In New South Wales, we are the gateway to the world for tourism. Right, we yes. should have a New South Wales strong association that works with New South Wales government to promote, but we don't because there's no mechanism like the other states. So, um, yeah, that's and it'll come up at the conference for sure. We'll get our ass bright again, but yeah. uh, <laughs> but rightly so, mm. rightly so. We should be organized, yeah. Well, it's very telling. I know when you land in Tasmania, you're confronted with signs, South Australia. You're confronted with signage about distilleries, uh, yeah. and it should be the same at Sydney Airport. You should be yeah. seeing whiskey being promoted for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What, mm. what were you saying, Todd? Oh, I can't remember now. Drum under the bus. Drum under the bus. Drum. We're going to throw you well, under the. Uh, before we do that, I just want to circle back around to um, question. I, I'm not sure we quite got to Jim's question on how did you go about establishing oh, your yeah, yeah, brand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Good point. Mm-hmm. Your brand, specifically Amber Lane. Well, um, it, so I suppose so what they're doing, doing is they're using up all the good questions before they throw me under the bus again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the brand of a product is um, there are many elements to it. I mean, I suppose fundamentally. For us, a focus was a concern around the quality and exclusivity of what we're making. Um, and as I said earlier, we we didn't come to market until we felt that we had a product that was already excellent. Um, and so we believed that right from the outset, we would establish um, our credentials by making outstanding whiskey, submitting it to national and international um, awards and getting results, which we have. So... I think first and foremost, it's um, your brand is established by producing the goods. If you're making, to, to be a bit rough about it, if you're making crap whiskey, people will work that out very quickly. Yeah. Um, and I don't like, it's not about naming names and giving examples, but 
there are some Australian whiskies that just aren't up to the scratch. Up, up to scratch, they're just not very good. Um, and so I think that you can damage your brand very easily. A brand is very difficult to to establish, and yep. it's very easy to destroy. Yep. And so you need to have consistency in everything that you do that stands with that brand um, promise. So one of the things about Amber Lane is the mandala. So on all of our bottles, you see the, the mandala. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the mandala is a concept that I read a lot about through Jungian psychology. I've read a lot of psychology and Jung talked about the idea that in every culture of the world, the mandala appears um, and it's generally understood to be a symbol of mental well-being or balance or health. Um, and a lot of people recovering from mental health challenges find colouring in mandalas is extremely nurturing and, and comforting to them. You'll see in a lot of religions there is the mandala. You know, for example, a lot of you'll see in a lot of uh, Buddhist um, mm. monasteries you'll see a focus on on the mandala. Yep. Um, and so for me, that's really been a motif right from the beginning where. Um, mm. I wanted my whiskey to be a, a balanced expression. I wanted it to be something that was carefully nurtured and which um, it, it wasn't. So, I, you know, our brand isn't about extreme whiskey. We're not interested in making whiskey that will shock people or, or will be, you know, highly aggressive or whatever. We, we wanted a very well-balanced, nurtured, mature whiskey. Um, and so I guess... You know that's that's the call to everything that we do. Um, so I might want to put out a whiskey. There, there are some barrels that I have which I'm very excited about at Amber Lane, and I could put them out this year, but I'm going to hold back for another couple of years because that's part of the brand. We want we we only want to put it out when it's ready. That's a that's a really cool backstory on the yeah. on the logo. I like it. I like it. Yeah. And I yeah. think um, so. I was. As I said earlier, I was running a law firm. I was dealing with everyone's legal problems. Um, like when you're advising companies every day, you're going to court all the time. You're dealing with very aggressive opponents. Judges can be pretty nasty as well. You just It's just a very negative place to be. And I made a decision last year to, to essentially walk away from that because... I didn't think that it was good for my mental health to be in that place. Um, and for me, whiskey making is a very it's a very holistic thing and it's a very nurturing thing and it's, it's a creative thing. And uh, if, if whiskey is consumed appropriately, it brings people together as well. Yeah. Uh, it's a really community building thing. So um, all of that is part of that sort of story around um, wholeness and harmony. I think I think you've actually just answered uh, Jonathan Harris's question uh, as yeah. whether you have your day job yeah. or if you've moved to full-time distilling. So you have now moved full-time distilling and your mental health, I'm sure, is uh, markably better. Much, much, much happier. Yeah, I, I do one thing and I, I meet so many lovely people and I, I don't quite know how to explain it, but I, I suppose, for example, if you were a dentist and all you did every day was look at rotten teeth, um, it would get to you after a while. Oh, yeah. and in the same way, if you're dealing with people's legal problems all the time and they're looking to you to fix it for them, um, you know, hopefully with the right skills and training, you're able to help them. But it's still every time you put 
put some of yourself out there to help another person, unless there's something filling the tank back up, at, at the end of the day, you're slowly draining yourself and your 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 energy as a person. So, um, you know, for me, being involved in the whiskey industry has been a very healing and restorative thing, and I'm I'm really happy with what I'm doing. I'm loving it. You've you've touched on something which is very deep uh, in my heart as well. Uh, the whole uh, philosophic uh, approach to to what it means to make whiskey. Um, when I first started, I, I coined the phrase, I am a craft worker, therefore I am. And it was centered very much around the French um, philosopher, but it was centered around, you know, I think, therefore I am. Right? Yeah. So I think, so if I think, I must exist, right? Yeah. And for me, whiskey is existence. It's, I am a craft worker. Craft worker to me is, it's craft what we do. Forget how wanky that all sounds. It's true. It's it's craft yeah. and what we do, but it's also the worker aspect of it. And I'd never been mm. a worker as such. I'd never made anything with my hands. So to be a maker is just immensely um, satisfying. It really, mm. really is. Um, I will use Marty Pye from Riverborn as a, as a great example. Marty is one of the oldest distillers in Australia, and all he wants to do is go into his shed, turn his Pavarotti up and make whiskey. And he's in his element, right? Mm. And he knows he's laying barrels now that he won't see them mature. He knows that, right? He's resigned to that fact. Um, but he's so passionate about it and he loves talking to people about it and he loves getting feedback from people. And it, mm. it keeps him alive. It keeps him young. Mm. And... He's 70, what, what, how old's Marty? 78, 79, something like that. Um, and he's in there and he's, he's mashing and he's getting the pot ale out. And right, there's not many, you know, 70 plus people doing that. Yeah. Is Marty coming to Epic? No, he's not. Oh, he's too old, but he is going to conference. He oh, is because I spoke to him about that in Canberra. Yeah, we were chatting about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we finally convinced him. He yeah. said, fuck it, I'm flying business class. <laughs> so he's flying <laughs> from Canberra down to Melbourne. <laughs> he goes, fuck it. <laughs> and he's, he's, we've got an apartment and uh, we're, Todd and I are taking the sleeper train down, which is very, very cool. I love doing that. Um, but Marty's got his independence. So if it's, so it's technically up, business class, isn't it? The sleeper club. Oh, yeah, 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 I suppose. But are you sharing a bunk or no, 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 we're not. Right, who's, who's we do too many things together. We don't need to share a bunk. You can have you can have the top bunk. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so Marty's got his independence that it, you know, if it, if it's chipping them the shits, right? Because he's got a very short tolerance, um, he'll just piss off. <laughs> but he, he's coming to, he's coming, yeah, so it'll be great, yeah. Um, two things on, on mental health you touched on, I'd like to touch on too. Um, mental health for me is, is a really uh, personal thing um, because I've been through mental challenges and, and before I had my own business, I didn't have these challenges. Uh, so small business is hard, as, as people know, in small business. Two things. One, at the Australian Distillers um, Conference, uh, we're doing a session, a breakout session, with um, Beyond Blue. Um, right. so, 
No, yeah. Beyond Blue. Beyond Blue. So nice. we're doing it Beyond Blue, um, and there's going to be a session talking about the pressures of, of small business and mental health, which is fantastic. Yeah. And separate yeah. to that, we're doing a Aussie Craft Distiller Shooting the Shit episode with Black Dog. Ah, right. It's all locked in. Uh, to talk about, again, mental health, because um, there's a lot of mum and dad operations who put their, their life's earnings and their souls into mm. their distilleries, and it's hard work. It's hard work, mm. and there's people struggling. So, um, yeah, um, really looking forward to the Black Dog session. Um, yeah, that'll be great. That'll be good, yeah. Yeah, I think that's in the middle of April. Which sure. one? The black dog. Sure it's, 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 yeah, I'm pretty sure it's around April the 13th from memory. Ooh, I didn't know I locked the date. Okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, Rod, that, that was really cool talking about mental health. And, and yeah, yeah, I like your, um, yeah. So, I, 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 and I think, yeah. I think when you're sort of sharing a few drams with friends or even with people you've just met for the first time. Um, there is, and, and I, you know, if I go back to the time when I was running a law firm and running business events, I would actually often do build an event around tasting a few whiskies because I found that after a few drams, everyone was a lot more relaxed yep. and people would start to share from the heart. And there yep. is definitely yeah. something democratizing about everyone having a few drams and suddenly we're all at the same level, yeah. you know, yeah. we're just people. And if it just helps to take away a little bit of the, the, the you know, the, the masks that people wear and we can all be a little bit more genuine, real with each other, you know, I, I think that's a wonderful thing that whiskey, whiskey yeah. drinking does because unlike a lot of other things where it's all about just drinking large volumes, uh, and I don't mean to, to, to talk down about beer, for example, but in a lot of environments, beer drinking is really just getting absolutely pissed right. Yeah. Um, there, is, there is a craft end to it. Um, but with whiskey, because it costs so much, um, you know, people are actually looking for a more refined experience. And often having a dram of whiskey, whether it's with friends or if it's by yourself, is almost a, like a meditation aspect to it. It's oh, absolutely that, that process of just sitting with it, noticing the elements of it, you know, taking time to identify flavors and aromas. Mm. That could be meditation because mm. meditation mm. is about slowing down, noticing your breathing uh, and letting go of tension. I think, I think whiskey appreciation is, is, a, is a form of, well, it could be a form of, um, of stress management, a, a way to, to meditate and, and, and to find a peace, you know, a peace and a calm in a very stressful situation. Mm. We just have to be careful, obviously, that we don't take things to excess. And um, I try very much to have more days where I don't drink alcohol than I do. Yeah. And I would have to admit that there are more weeks that I fail than I succeed. <laughs> <laughs> the intention is there. Uh, but I would say at least two days a week I, I don't have alcohol, and I think that's important as well for your mental health is to give yeah. your body a break and not, yeah. not for alcohol not to be a crutch. But I think for some, for some of us it can be a very helpful thing in moderation. Yeah. I, I, I say to people, you can have two complete, complete strangers and put them on a table with a bottle of gin, they're probably going to be strangers at the end of it, right? Bottle of whiskey, more than mm. nine times out of ten, conversation will start and they'll get to know each other. There's something ritualistic uh, about mm. whiskey. Um, mm. And the other thing I want to say, um, 
pay homage to my spiritual homeland, which is the Oak Barrel, which you did as well. All right. We went to um, the Oak Barrel two weeks ago, last week. Last week. Last week. And Mm -hmm. three weeks before, we did a Craftworks tasting night, which was a great night. Had a lot of fun, right? But two weeks last week, we went purely as just punters, Uh right? For a Bunnahaven night. And it was. Fan, right. fantastic. Mm. Um, it it reconnected to me why I started doing what I what I did because it was born out of the, out of the oak barrel for sure. Um, um, the funny thing you'll you'll love this. So uh, there was a slide that came up uh, of Bunnahaven, and uh, it was um, it was their times of distillation, right? <laughs> during the fours, the hearts, and, and the fakes. Yeah. Yeah. So we're looking at the figures, and you know, most people in the room is just figures on the board. So yeah. we started doing the calculation. Work out their cups. <laughs> so. ah, actually, I do have a book, a whiskey book, that has the where they do the cuts for about 10 different distilleries. Yeah. It's, it's, really, it's really fascinating to see where they do the cuts. So obviously for the, the heavily peated whiskies, they – they collect quite a bit in the 50s. And I think Lugavulin goes as low as 53 even. Wow. 53? That's a yeah. serious And some of them, they'll, they'll, they won't collect the whole way, so they'll collect yep. some and then they'll yep. take a break and then they'll collect some more. Hmm. Wow. So there's kind of like a gap in the middle of the heart. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I've heard that wow. before in rum, rum technique, but I've never heard that before in whiskey technique. That's... yeah. That's interesting. We can you, can you dig up that book for us? Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, um, I heard it fascinating because I'd never like after we'd established where our cuts were, I then discovered this book and I looked at it and I thought, oh wow, that's interesting. Just seeing where I fit into the pattern. And oh, it's, it's not your book. It's no, it's no, no. This, this is a this is a book that I bought. In fact, it, it might have been in a discount bookshop or something. You know, I might have paid 10 15 bucks for it, but it actually has a chapter which reveals where the cuts are done with about 10 different Scottish distilleries. Oh, wow. Ooh, yes, please. Tell me the, tell me the book. I'd, I'd love to know. We, yeah. we, um, we, we look at some of the, the Scottish cuts and we got some of, some of them, and it's like, why would you bother? <laughs> There's so, so small amount of, of hearts. Yeah, They're some of them are like 64 so to 60, for example. Yeah, like a very yeah. narrow range like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. you're just constantly distilling and you're getting bugger yeah. all. Yeah. It's just yeah, no, that's cool. How's yeah. that timing going? Uh, we are now almost at the hour and a half mark. So okay, quickly, can we do the Dubbo Whiskey Festival? Are you uh, are you are you going to the Dubbo Whiskey Festival, uh, Rod? I have not decided. I'm aware. I started receiving literature about a week ago about it. Are you guys going? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we, we wanted to go last year, um, had to pull out just because of circumstances and didn't have enough product, but absolutely going to be there. It's going to be awesome. Um, so it's for those that don't know, it's the Dubbo Whiskey Festival. It's their second year. Um, it's run by the team out of the establishment. Um, Scotty Fitzsimmons from the ex Oak Barrel, now Ned's, is going to be MC on the night uh, for the distiller's dinner. And um, it'll be there at the festival. 
and uh, it's going to be a party weekend. And it's the middle of winter. No, not middle, early. So the date is, I'll tell you. I completely forgot to bring up the website. Mm, so don't worry. I'm, I know, can't bunk with help those days. Uh, we'll, we'll promote it again, but it's uh, June 16th. June 16th. So, and it's in Blackgate's uh, territory. So uh, I'm sure they'll they'll be there as well. So that's that's one reason alone to, to go to the, the Dubbo Winter Whiskey Festival. So, um, yeah, so... There we are. And Luke's just bringing it up on screen for people. Yeah, mm -hmm. I will post the uh, link. Post the link. Uh, DWWF.com.au is it. Let me actually display it on screen. You know, semi-professional type thing. I should have organized this earlier, but I'm fucking useless. There we go. There we go. And so, I'll whack it in the comments as well, just so everybody knows. Um so that'll be cool. And the other thing we'd like to mention is Epic, Epic in the Valley, our event. Uh, so Craftworks and Dali Campground, uh, we're co-created. This is the second year of our event. Um, it's it's um, beautiful Cavity Valley. Yeah. It's um, three about three hours west of Sydney. Um, and we have uh, Black Snake Distillery. So agave spirit, we have cheers, mate. Uh, ben Osborne from um, Canberra. So he's got an array of, of different spirits. Array, array. Saying he's doing whatever he's doing. All the things. <laughs> ben has all the things. We have uh, the Ministry of Mead, Paul uh, Mills. So that's uh, mead. And we'll have some distilled mead, which is a collab between Craftworks and... Um, Ministry of Mead. We've also got uh, Davy Boy Hop and Clover Brewery um, out of Mudgee. We've got Naked Lady Wines. Um, is that all the alcohol? Did I miss anyone? Uh, gin? Who's doing gin? Oh, we are. Oh, you're doing gin? Yep, yeah, we're doing the gin. Um, cider? No, no cider, unfortunately. Oh, um, I better take that off the website. Yeah, take the website. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Someone do cider. We've got local chocolatier. Uh, they're doing some whiskey chocolates. We've got uh, meats. We've got local crafts. Uh, big campfire. We were meant to have um, Andrew Young coming, Cooper, and he was going to break down a barrel and flame it like last year. Unfortunately, he can't make it. So yours truly and the man with the hat, we're going to put on the exhibition of breaking down a barrel. Yeah, and the barrel. We apparently have been fully trained in the art of breaking down a barrel now. And... I'm, I'm bringing a couple of fire extinguishers. It's the local fire brigade on notice as well. Ah, so it's the camp is owned by the captain of the RFS. Ah. So it's a private campground. There will be fiery presence. Yeah, they're definitely fiery present. Can you make it, Rod? Are you are you coming? Or would you like to come? We we actually have been advertising for a while. We have an open day at the distillery on the eleventh. Oh, um, the same weekend. Yeah, bugger. Um, yeah. And we've actually got a, 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 private, a private tasting panel on the Friday night. Yeah, we need to we need to organise these things more carefully and compare our yeah. diary. Yeah. Anyway, it sounds like a lot of fun, guys. It sounds like yeah. it will be. It, it will be. There are still tickets available. There are. So jump on the website, epicinthevalley.com.au. There's a link to the um, sticky tickets or whatever it is to, yep. to buy the tickets. Yep. Uh, you can just drop in 
for the Saturday, which is when we have the the main stuff, stuff market stuff going on with all the makers, the wood, metal, wax, leather makers, as well as all of our um, our booze and makers, live, live music, music, and of course, yes, the and, all, and all the pizzas you can eat. Yeah, yeah, wood fired pizza as well. Yeah, uh, for the evening, it's going to be epic. And it's family friendly, dog friendly, dog friendly, and also noisy people friendly. So we no, have. He's got his own valley to go down. <laughs> One of the biggest complaints last year was that Crafty was too loud. It wasn't me. Uh huh. Yeah. See, you can't blame me because you keep telling me I'm quiet. So it must have been no. you. It was definitely you. No, it wasn't. It was definitely yeah. you. Just thank God the mead came out later in the night. If we yeah. carried on with whiskey, oh my God. The cool thing about it, so talk about the camaraderie of the whiskey community. Hmm. People came and bought bottles of whiskey, right, to share. And there was bottles and you looked at it and you go, mate, you can't open that. And they go, yes. Oh. This is why I drink whiskey, to share with people, like-minded people. It was yeah. very, very cool. Really, really cool. That, and that'll happen this year as well. Yeah. So literally yeah. sitting around the fire, mm. drinking bottles of whiskey that you would never normally. Yeah. If hopefully people bring their whiskey. Yeah. Otherwise, that'd be. Well, well that particular <laughs> one, one that none of us will ever be able to get again because it was. Um, we, we drank it all. We drank it all. Uh, so yeah, epicinthevalley.com.au. We should probably throw them under the bus. No. <laughs> I won't. No, no, don't. I won't. No, probably under the bus. Just the line. Yeah. Well, we don't, we we don't have any sponsors yet. But we're going through a change of sponsors right we now. We've got some new sponsors, and we're saying goodbye to some sponsors. Yeah. But uh, I, we are. I sponsored. built some of them today, so we'll see whether we announce them two weeks time. Probably. So we'll move from $38 in the bank. We can buy some more beer coasters. Yeah, to $50 in the bank. Yeah. We probably need some by now. No, we're okay. Coasters Rod, thank right. you very, very much. My pleasure. It's been great fun, guys. Yeah. I'm glad. Nice way to spend an evening. I'm sorry I won't be with you at the Epic in the Valley. It actually sounds, the way that you framed it, it sounds like I'll be missing out big time. You will. You will. There's unfortunately no other way to sugarcoat that. It's um, you've missed out. <laughs> on that weekend. However, those who are based around the Central Coast and Sydney who can't make it all the way out to Kapiti, you will have a lovely experience at Amberlane if you want to pop in there on Saturday between 12 and 4. And we'll be very happy to show you around the distillery. We might even crack open a few barrels for you to taste. Ooh. And uh, we'll have a nice fun afternoon. I think he just hijacked. Very I, nice. I think he did it really well. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, awesome. no, absolutely. Yeah, it's been it's been wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank um, you. And we'll see up. you at the conference. Yes, see you at the ADA conference and at the Aussie Whiskey Fair, Aussie Whiskey Show, whatever it's called, on oh, yeah, Saturday. Yeah. Well, yeah, that'll be good. Looking awesome. Thanks, very Robert. good. Appreciate Thanks, it, mate. Guys. Thanks so much. Thank you, everyone, for yeah. joining us. Uh, please do like and subscribe on all the different things. Um, I think I may have forgotten to put up the imbue one on the website, so I'm going to do that tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. And I'm a bit shit. And YouTube's out of control, too. 
Anyway. Fucking technology. <laughs> Thank you all. See you next Thank time. You. In two weeks' time, hold on, before we, two weeks' time, we've got. Dave, Dave Whitaker, Manly Spirits. Manly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and just because there's a clash of nights, it's going to be on Wednesday, not on, on Thursday night. Uh-huh. Great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. And Dave Whitaker is going to be live from New York at 2 a.m. <laughs> oh, he's going to regret that at about 1 a.m. that he agreed I said, to do it. I said to him, I said, mate, we can move it. He goes, no, nah, I'm up for it. I was like, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Cool. That will be Enjoy. great. So, yeah, and we have a guest next week uh, in two weeks. So John Jarvis is going to oh, join you're us. you're not going to be. No, you are. No, I'm probably taking along. Oh, fuck this. Uh, it's going to be. Oh, Jesus. We don't have enough room on the screen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So John you're Jarvis right. from Hobart. See you later, <laughs> Ron. Yeah, thank you all. Have a good evening. Bye. 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 Thanks, guys. <laughs>